and all because of the bad language. We took to the streets to find out. Hello. Do you listen to podcasts? One or two, yes, one or two. And do any of them feature bad language? Oh, no, no. We will never hear that, will we, Ethel? No. Ooh, no, Phil, thank you, no. And what if one took you by surprise? Do you think podcasts should have a disclaimer at the beginning if they're due to feature any swearing, for example? Or alcohol? No, I would never, would I? Well, no, I meant if you... Anyone who swears on a podcast should have his b**** and shoved up his I, I see. And who do you think... Filth! A lot of them! Stop it! And the drugs can f*** as well! This week on the Casting Peg Mountain... Can I just say... that I had the diarrhoea for 27 solid minutes throughout this? I... Th- I thought I could smell papered keks. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> So here, with an absolute lack of scientific proof, is the encouraged testimony of some paranoid fantasists. <laughs> Without the fucking bubbles. <laughs> Jesse, what oh, you on about, dude. man? What you on about? All right. Hello and welcome to a new episode of the Peggy Mount Calamity Hour. I'm Dr. Velvet. I'm Blackout. And we're here, as always, to talk about the telly. Yes, hello you. Thanks for joining us on our casual cultural critique of vintage television, where Britain's best-loved battle axe is never far from our minds, because here, all roads lead to the mountain. If you bang over to PeggyMountPod.com, info and links for the episodes we're discussing is in the show notes. You can find us on the socials, get in touch to say hello or suggest programmes you'd like us to cover. And before we ring the bell and run away laughing, Dr Velvet, I've got to ask, what are you drinking? Do you know what? I'd love to tell you, but I'm not. I'm going to I'm gonna say it's a Shiraz, but I'm not going to tell you who makes it because, quite frankly, it tastes like arse. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah. What about you? Well, I've got a shipyard IPA. Nice. Can't go wrong with a bottle of beer. That's all you I'm really saying. You really can't. You really can't. Maybe, maybe I should go down that route. Do you know what I mean? I think you. Yeah, it's. Yeah. Well, I generally do enjoy me wine, but this in particular one, nah. Do I spy a letter in your hand, blackout? The postman's been. We've got mail. <clears throat> to whom it may concern. Where or where was your much-talked-about Easter special podcast in which you were going to provide back-to-back commentary tracks for Series 1 to 3 of On the Buses, including a phone interview with Anna Karen to cover the series finale of each? I had a seven-hour drive to Cornwall on Monday Thursday, during which I had to listen to the voices of my husband and children. Disappointing. Unsubscribing now. Regards, Cicely Courtway in Luxton. Well, thanks for getting in touch, Cicely. Uh, we did record that Mammoth podcast. Unfortunately, our legal team advised us not to put it out after listening to the content of the phone interviews. We do have a similar thing lined up for Christmas, where we're covering In Love and Memory, though, so if you find your way back to us for that, you're very welcome. Quite right. OK, um, while you've been reading that out, I've been listening, but I've also been multitasking. I've been playing about with my Space 1999 card deck, and I've got two Barbara Baines, so that means snap. <laughs>
Yes, Dramarama. This is an anthology sci-fi and supernatural series on children's ITV, ran from 1983 to 89. It was commissioned and distributed by Television South, although standalone episodes were produced by about a dozen regional stations. Uh, It ran for 90 episodes over seven series, so it can certainly be classed as a success. The episode we're covering today is Snap from April 1987, written by Chris Cooper, directed by Michael Kerrigan. When the adolescent Peter is dropped at Romney Marsh by his dad for a day's hiking and photography to research a school project, he finds himself relentlessly pursued by a sinister yet familiar figure. Yeah. Can I just say that I had the diarrhoea for 27 solid minutes throughout this? I I thought I could smell papered keks. Do you know what I mean? (laughs) This... This was mortifying for a kids' drama. Do you mean? Do you mean this was mortifying in 1987 or mortifying now? Both. <laughs> I'm 47. Yeah, I agree. I I'm agree. I'm 47, and I sat there, and <laughs> I was I was terrified to go up the stairs afterwards. Uh, no, and it was at, I watched it at two o'clock in the afternoon. This is wrong. Uh huh. <laughs> this is wrong. This is tales of the unexpected for kids drama drama. And good Lord, man. Except, well, I wouldn't, uh, yeah, I don't know. I wouldn't necessarily say it was for kids. It had kids in it. It was shown. I'd even say that letting, fo- making kids, yeah, it was shown when kids were watching 445, the telly. 445 in the <laughs> afternoon on CITV. It was for kids. Now, I didn't really used to watch Drama Rama probably because children's BBC's output was lighter in mm-hmm. tone, and that's what I was attracted to when I was younger. Um, but yeah, watching this, I have no idea. If, I, if I'd seen it, yeah, I'd have been banging to this. Yeah. The dialogue here is clunky, mm-hmm. and let's be honest, in a few scenes, the delivery is often worse, but my God, this is solid. It is. It is. The imagery is beautiful. Yeah. Ah, and it is. It's beautiful. <laughs> The sheer isolation of that cinematography, it's like you can just feel the life being sucked out of you when you watch it's it. It's a fact. Couple that with Chris Gunn's score, it's all just frantic percussion and twisted metal. And mm-hmm. Oh, this is starting to sound like a real review now, isn't it? Mind, Peter's dad's got a lot of strong opinions for a man who in all likelihood permanently smells of sheep, man. Yeah. <laughs> yes, he has. And he needs to check up on his parenting skills, mind. Yes, the kid, the oh, kid no, wanted to be dropped off in Romney Marsh and he had to do whatever he had to do. Uh-huh. Um, it's it's chucking it down a rain. He stops the truck. Get out uh-huh. and walk. Get out. Um, I'll uh-huh. see you at six o'clock. Don't be late, etc. And just abandons him. Hang on. You don't just abandon... I don't know. What, what's Peter supposed to do? 14, 15, something like that? He is a, he is a bit of a sulky little well, shit, right. yeah. to be fair. Yeah, but... Yeah, but <laughs> so, you know what? A lot of kids are, but you don't abandon them in the middle of a wasteland. <laughs> But it wasn't until we see the van sort of drive off that I realised, yeah, there's sheep in the back of it, so his dad's clearly some sort of, like, livestock I never farmer. even noticed that. Then I think, well, yeah, that probably means the family just smells of shit all day long. So imagine imagine a school life. Here he comes, shitty Pete. Shitty Pete with the ticks. <laughs> loppy, loppy Pete that stinks of shit. Um, so give us, a, give us a quick rundown of what happens next. He's had a bit of a... Bit of a ding dong with his old man. He's kicked him out of the van onto well, Romney more Marsh. More importantly, before that, when he drives past, and there's that figure in the cagoule. In the well, it's not. It's a it's a cagoule smock, 
and there's that figure and he turns back and it's there. It's just, they capture it. It's a simple shot. It's a simple shot, simple imagery, but now, it puts... We're going to put a picture of this up in the show Yeah, notes. but it puts the fear of God into you. But, but I saw that figure there in the poncho and I thought, is he being haunted by Bruce Willis in Unbreakable? <laughs> well, I didn't think that. Largely <laughs> because I don't like Bruce Willis and I won't watch any of his films. Okay. <laughs> I've never liked him since he left Moonlighting. So um, there's that, that image there that already I thought, ooh, right, okay. Anyway, he gets out, and I'm thinking, are you crackers? Because if I'd been in that truck and there'd been somebody standing there in the cagoule and then all of a sudden there weren't there. It's, no, it's very nicely done. It is. Oh, it's beautifully done. But there's no they, way I'd get out the truck. They pass the guy in the cagoule. They pass the guy in the cagoule and he drives for about another 30 seconds. He should be long, long, long back True. you know, on the horizon by the point to stop. And sure enough, they stop. And yeah, he's about like 15 feet away. And you're like, oh, I see. I get the mm-hmm, picture. Mm-hmm. Okay. <laughs> now. Yeah, this is some um, threatening. The icing <laughs> on the cake, which I was not expecting in a million years, we get a voiceover by Tom Baker. Yeah, no. I was like, where's that come Tom, from? It's Tom Baker reading a part of Coleridge's Rhyme of the Ancient Mariner. Yeah. He's not credited at the he's end not. of this. So yeah. I'm assuming that they've licensed that recording from another production, but I couldn't find out where. So, okay, hooded figures, haunted soundtrack, haunting soundtrack, absolutely, yeah. 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 It, it rips your soul apart, that, and you are just sat there going, oh my god, oh my god, oh my god, oh my god, the whole time, creepy ass scarecrows. Now, in between some of the, um, in between some of the scenes, we get these like interstitial still photos which i believe are supposed to be the photos that he's taken on his day out indeed except that these photos are taken on a much sunnier day than the one that they used to film the <laughs> well, episodes that's that's very true <laughs> and bearing in mind he's got a polaroid camera with no zoom and the flash permanently on he gets a whole range of photos that i would I would not expect to see i agree i will say one of those photographs that he takes the face behind the tree I like that. Oh, <laughs> Again, so did I. Terrifying. So did I. But it, honestly, I, that was my third trip to the toilet. <laughs> Tell you now. So before long, Peter comes across a church. Doesn't he though? Um, wanders in, takes a few photos, causes hell. Uh, he's still being pursued Can I just say by. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What a collection of rude and ill-mannered people in the church. Such rudeness and ill-mannered. And yeah, it's nice to see Roy Evans as the uh, the craftsman in the church there, starring as someone who isn't the creepiest person in a production for a change. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> With his slightly too wet mouth. Isn't it? <laughs> it is? No, you're, you're right. So he, um, so he goes into the church. Mm. He's still being pursued by someone or something. He's not quite sure at this point. Mm-hmm. He hasn't, you know, we haven't had the full reveal. He leaves the church, bit of vandalism happens in his wake, and then we find ourselves down on the beach at Romney, just south of Folkestone. Um, again, a beautifully desolate landscape. And to go with that, Peter seems to have brought the most depressingly British packed lunch that ever existed. Ah, oh, don't. Because I thought, you know what? He sat there having his little bit sandwiches. Bless him. What, Which clearly in, have dog food in them. Sandwiches? Dog food. It is dog food. It's pedigree chum in those sandwiches. I identified this. I thought it might have been like braised human or something. That was going to be the real sort of horror. 
Very well, <laughs> absolutely all right. atrocious. Yeah, it looked like I, I suppose it was corned beef, but I thought there he is, bless him, with his little bit of sandwiches and his flask, uh-huh, and uh-huh. Uh, he's looking through his little book and all the rest of it. And I thought, yeah, yeah, that's lovely, isn't that nice? And then someone has to go and spoil it, and he hears a noise. He goes out. He, his flask is belted, and he's the, the the coffee or tea, whatever he is. I bet it's um, I bet it was typhoon as well. Um, spilled all over his yellow cagoul. Why does he? Why does he? Like quickly take his mac off when it gets splashed. Is it sulfuric acid in there? Yes, yes, it must be. It must be. <laughs> anyway, he takes that off, and he goes back into the the bunker thing that he that he was residing in for to have his lunch. Yeah. And someone's belted his sandwiches the length of the bunker, kicked out hour. Mm-hmm. Yep, mm-hmm. smear all over the floor. Mm-hmm. Mind about at the end of all of this, when Peter's left on the heath with someone else's mac that he really wishes he had that flask with him, because in that closing shot, he really looks like he missed a tea. <laughs> As we saw tragically, someone, this this figure, has nicked his cagoule, his yellow cagoule. And uh-huh. off the figure runs. Yep. Mincing across the beach. About four minutes later, maybe not even as long as that, Peter brings out a black cagoule. That, that's the one that was discarded by the Phantom. Oh, it, so it is. It definitely is. Because I wondered, yes. I, thought, I thought I saw him pull it out of a bag. No, that's the one that he was, the, the, uh, that the Phantom was wearing. Right. And he sort of discards that, nicks the yellow yeah. cagoule, goes belting off over the beach... Peter runs after him, shouting, "Hey, mate!" I don't know why he thinks he's his mate <laughs> at this point. He's been like tormenting him all day, mm. uh, and eventually he gets. He picks up the um, the black mac, and he's like running after it, and eventually he just puts it on. It's 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 part well fifty percent cagoule, fifty percent smock. So I don't know what you'd call that. <laughs> I don't I don't know what you'd call that. A kagok. A smagool. A smagool. smagool. Yeah. There you go. Right, you went one way, I went the other. That's fine. Um, it's the, the, the smagool. Off he goes, really creepy touches, like when he's walking along the fence and the figure just keeps appearing at yeah. intermittent periods. Absolutely beautiful. Loved yep. it. You know what I like best about all of this? The credits? It's not one of those macabre morality tales that we used to get in the 70s and 80s that basically threatened kids into good behaviour with the supernatural. Yeah. Yeah. All of this happens to Peter for absolutely no reason. Agreed. He's done nothing wrong. He's a bit of a grumpy teenager. That's it. Who isn't? And yet, there we are. Everything that happens to him, we won't spoil it. We will. We would, you know. He's the. It's not a happy ending. Mm-hmm. Um, and yet, all of that happens to Peter for no reason that he can ascertain, or that we, the audience, can ascertain. It's just yeah. That's where you are now, mate. Trapped on Romney Marsh. There we go. <laughs> I must admit. I must admit. The the. Um... Was that obvious to you that that was going to happen? Um, it's a well-used twist. It's a well-used denouement, if you like. I saw it coming, but it didn't make it any less effective. Right. I still yeah. thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyed it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I'd agree with that. Uh, agree with you know, that. it was always heading one way. This was never yeah. going to end well. So, yeah, I'm fine with that. At the end of it, by the time he was in the church, banging like hell on the organ, Yeah. I th- I, I'd sussed what, what the crack was here. The ending. Oh, what an awful ending. What an awful ending. There you go. Drama-rama. Snap. Tremendous. Which leads me to the question, how many cagoules would you peg on the line? I would peg a solid 8 out of 9 for this. What about yourself? Totally agree with you. Totally agree with you. Thoroughly enjoyed this. Tremendous. But the more pertinent and perhaps disturbing question Mm. is how many steps would it take you to yodel up the mountain? while being pursued by someone in a yellow cagoule. 
Well, I'll put on my black smugul yes. and I'll do it in three. Ooh. Okay, Snap stars Jason Rush, who had a short run in EastEnders back in the early 90s in episodes that featured Wendy Richards, who played Shirley in Dad's Army. Next to John Laurie, who was in the 1963 comedy Ladies Who Do, with Peggy Mount. I said it's still raining. Excellent work. There you go. What about your good self, sir? I myself can take two tentative steps up the mountain. Come on, then. Snap stars Roy Boyd, who also appeared in King Solomon's Mines with John Rhys-Davies, who starred in 1973's Once Upon a Time episode Buttons with Peggy Mount. Oh, isn't it marvellous? Well done. Very well done. After all that, I need a strong drink. Better than this wine that I'm drinking here. Better than this slurry. I wonder what I can drink. lovely things that we can buy. I tell you what, some of them were quite mysterious though, weren't they? They certainly were. But not as mysterious as this. Arthur C. Clarke's Mysterious World. This is an early evening documentary series produced by Yorkshire Television for ITV. It ran for 13 episodes, narrated by Gordon Honeycomb, with bookend and incidental spots by Clarke himself. This is number 10, UFOs, from November 1980. To begin proceedings, let's hear from Arthur himself. I think I can claim to be a reluctant expert on UFOs. I've been interested in them for almost 50 years, long before the phrase flying saucers was invented. What's your point, Arthur? Are you seriously trying to score hipster points by being into UFOs when they did their more interesting early stuff? (laughs) UFOs are very common. If you've never seen one, you're either unobservant or you live in a cloudy area. Ah, yes. The only two types of people there, Arthur. I've seen half a dozen good ones, and now I have some very definite opinions on the subject. 
I am getting that impression, Arthur. Yes. You may as well finish this segment by saying, so here, with an absolute lack of scientific proof, is the encouraged testimony of some paranoid fantasists. Over to you, Dr. Velvet. Thanks for that. I mean, I've got to agree with what you're uh, inferring there. Tell you what, though. Yet again, I've got the diarrhoea. Because this, <laughs> this evokes such horrific, mortifying memories for me. Because when this series first started, I was a wee bairn, and this scared the caca out of me then, and it still does. There are elements to this show. It's not even the subject matter. It's not even... It's the way it is presented. Let's start with the theme music, which we've already heard. That's creepy enough. We then go into Gordon Honeycomb's clinical, matter-of-fact voice, which, to me, at the time, it's his tone. To me, as a, I think I was, I think I was eight or seven when this came out on the on the TV, talking to me as if these things did exist. Or, all right, he's questioning: Are we being watched? He sounds like he's bollocking you for a start, but he's, I knew he's, right off the bat when mm. Honeycomb kept saying UFO that that was going to boil my piss for the rest of the episode. To be fair, right, I never noticed it back in the day. It, it, it did grind <laughs> me doing it. Like. He keeps saying UFO, and it's like, are you not friends with Arthur Clarke? He, right. Even he calls it a UFO, and he's Arthur Clarke. Exactly. Exactly. How so, seriously do you think Gordon has taken this, though? Uh, no, this he, is just... He's, he's, he, he doesn't sound I, like he's stifling a laugh there. He's a job in newscaster. He turns up, he says his lines, he goes, oh, you know. And he just doesn't think about what he's saying. No. But I don't know if he thinks he, it's like maybe a parody and he's just going in with his best straight face. But he seems to he's very sort of earnest about all of this. Like he hasn't actually read what he's reading. Uh yeah, but he man, he's he's going for it. It's that too. Are we being watched? Pardon me, pardon? I'm sitting on me rice krispies. Are we being watched from space? Set a fear of God into us. Um and then, and then the chosen incidental music to go under his narration is just blood curdling. <laughs> it's it is mortifying. It is mortifying. Are we being watched by aliens from outer space? Are these the craft they're using to visit us? Did this Scottish forester really have a close encounter in this lonely glade? And what does this classic UFO film show? A flying saucer or something more down to earth? Nah. nah I'll tell nah, you what nah. I find mortifying. The mm. repeated phrase, seems to, is doing so much heavy lifting here that it went on to wow. win the world's strongest man competition in 1981. <laughs> of, well, yeah. Clark keeps showing us footage of stuff mm. and then going, that's not aliens, though, without ponying up a single piece of evidence to suggest he's not been talking out of his arse since the adverts <laughs> ended after Star Games. <laughs> Dear Lord. We move to another piece of film where this guy's looking through this telescope thing with a camera. Uh, quote, a million dollars worth of equipment. That is straight out of the BBC effects truck for Blake 7. I'm sorry, because that looks like <laughs> dog shit. That looks like four shoeboxes, a crappy Polaroid camera, and a bit of paint. A million dollars. My nipples. Are you doubting the veracity of Yorkshire television? No. But Arthur <laughs> Clarke, yes. 
Oh, good God. We then cut back to Arthur Clarke. And I must say, at this point, wearing a beautiful pair of sky blue slacks. Yes. He looks very presentable. Uh, well, turned well, out- sorry, if I can just have a, a quick diversion. Mm. I'm going to stick a foot in the show notes about this. While we're on the subject of his wardrobe, is Arthur Clarke Harry Hill's dad? Yes. Yeah, he, uh, he if could you well stand be. them side by side, that is eerie. Yeah. I mean, it's certainly more sort of supernatural than anything in this programme, but please carry on. Mm-hmm. No, you're perfectly correct. Um, he's standing outside some kind of garage or whatever, uh, and he's banging on about Venus. So the garage door opens and he says, here is my favourite UFO. And here's one of his staff blowing up a balloon, a weather balloon. I mean, we don't find out it's a weather balloon straight... I mean, if you know it's a weather balloon, because these a lot of these reports usually are that. But he doesn't introduce it as that straight away. He says, here is my favourite uh, my favorite UFO. And then about 15 feet away, it's just a man holding the nozzle and this... Yeah. Yeah. It's like Rover from The Prisoner farting at anyone still taking this seriously. It really is. It really is. And this wine's getting no better, mine taste. It, uh, oh, no. Nah. Um, <laughs> that wine came from a mysterious world, I'm telling you now. <laughs> After that, we cut to a guy called Lee Hansen, uh, who's clearly had the rollers in. I suspect he's trying to look like Michael Landon, because Michael Landon, let's face it, has got beautiful hair. And then back to Arthur Clarke, who essentially is saying in this particular piece... Forget all the sightings. People are shit. I prefer yeah. the close encounters. My favourite stories are the close encounters. We then get a close encounter with Jessie. Have you seen uh-huh. Jessie's eyes? Oh. <laughs> she, I, I dread to think what she's actually seen. Jessie's eyes? <laughs> well, I, didn't yes. write any, I couldn't even write any notes on this bit because I didn't know where it would have gone. Yeah. Jessie's eyes. Pierce your soul. Uh, she stood out in a field with her kids and watched a UFO. And quote, what did it look like? And give give us the exact words, because this is phenomenal, this. I'm going to get this as a tattoo. Are you going to drop a clip of it in there? Because I can't remember what she says. She says... And to my amazement, there suspended on the top of the roof of this old farm was this object that I can only describe as a huge Mexican hat. It was that shape without the bubbles. <laughs> without the fucking bubbles. <laughs> Jesse, what are you on about, man? What are you on about? Ah, yes, the uh, the famous Roswell. It ties in with the famous Roswell report, of course. <laughs> it was shaped like a Mexican hat, but without the bubbles. <laughs> the closest she has come to Europe is watching duty free. <laughs> Never mind. Never mind. If you're listening, Jesse, please don't sue us. <laughs> Carry on. Carry on. <laughs> so, Bob Taylor. Bob Taylor up in Edinburgh. I do like how you've written all the names down. You've really paid a lot of attention to this episode, far more than I did. These people are amazing. These people are amazing. <laughs> um, Bob Taylor. I'm going to... Okay. Bob describes what happened to him. All right? I, 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 I suspect this is a setup. I'll tell you why, because I've done a little bit of homework on this. Right. And this is a culmination 
of some of the words and phrasing that he uses. He rounded a corner and was astonished to be confronted by an unearthly object. A huge thing with a big round dome, a very dark grey colour, and it had a, a big flange going all the way around. I could see arms sticking out of this flange with what I took to be blades on the top. As I stood here, there was two balls came out, two balls, I think they'd be about three feet in diameter. I remember feeling a tug at that time. That was it. Bob Taylor is a porn writer. I think Bob Taylor's just won a bet for what he could say on camera. Yeah, well, yeah, either or, either or. He won. He's got someone in his earpiece going, say flange. <laughs> yes, yes, he safe, has. Say flange again. Yes, he has. <laughs> Bob. Bob Taylor, hero. The man's <laughs> on, a hero. Bob. The man's a hero. And still managed to deposit his diarrhoea-filled, rived trousers <laughs> to the police station. Bob the flange, as they call him down the pub. As they do, yeah. And because of that, to me, Arthur Clarke's world, tremendous. I myself don't actively disbelieve in aliens on like a scientific or mathematical principle. This programme's just horseshit. <laughs> this is like a televised Usborne book of the unexplained where they've forgotten that it might be an idea to convince the audience at some point. Imagine having that platform and then just using it for, for just someone standing in a field going, it was like a Mexican hat. And someone else just saying, well, only aliens could have torn these trousers like this. <laughs> and that is essentially what Bob Taylor's saying, mate. Uh -huh. uh, yeah, aliens gave me a wedgie. That's definitely what it is. Yeah, That's it what is. you told your wife, is it, Bob? Yes. How many pegs are you going to put on the line, with or without bobbles? <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not wearing a Mexican hat, so right, right. it is with a heavy heart mm -hmm. that I will give Arthur Clarke four pegs out of nine. Well, you're wrong. What about yourself? Uh, for me, just because of the sheer terror uh, that it gave us, it, 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 ah, give me a seven. Absolutely not. Absolutely. <laughs> I thoroughly enjoyed this when I was a kid. Mortified. It was, it was like someone reading ghost stories to us. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, seven for Arthur Clarke. But can you imagine if Arthur Clarke was reading you a ghost story and then every time something happened, he'd turn around and go, of course it wasn't a ghost. <laughs> can I be specific on my grade? Two pegs go to the programme. Five are going to his sky blue slacks. Okay, okay. Yeah? <laughs> Can't argue with that. So, if you were to put on a pair of sky blue slacks, how many, yes. how many steps would it take you to yodel up the mountain? Well, all I've got here is these ripped slacks. So I'm going to tread very carefully. You need to. But I can yodel up the mountain in three. Oh. Oh, here we go. Go on, then. <laughs> Arthur Clarke had a cameo in the movie 2010, which starred Helen Mirren, who also appeared in The Long Good Friday next to Derek Thompson, who, of course, was Charlie Fairhead in the 1991 Sins of Omission episode of Casualty that starred Peggy Mount. What was I saying when Dolly interrupted? Well done, well done. That's not bad at all. How about you? How about yourself? How many steps can you make it in? Two. Oh, two mysterious steps. Very mysterious. Arthur 
Clark's world was narrated by Gordon Honeycomb, of course, who appeared in 1958's Blood of the Vampire, a film which starred Victor Madden, who rolled up in two episodes of The Larkins, next to Peggy Mount. I wonder why I woke up with a cramp. Excellent work, sir. There you go. So, no mystery about what happens next. It's time to go, unfortunately. Over to Blackout for the socials. Yes, thanks once again for hanging out here with us. If you'd like to get in touch, you can email PeggyMountPod at gmail.com or we are at PeggyMountPod on Twitter. You can also find us by searching the Peggy Mount Calamity Hour on Facebook and don't forget to go to PeggyMountPod.com to check out show notes for this episode. Absolutely, it's as easy as that. Until next time, keep wearing your smagools, do not buy the same wine that I did, and remember, keep Keep mounting! The Peggy Mount Calamity Hour is a free podcast, Michael Media, which holds production copyright. Opinions and recollections expressed are not to be taken as fact. The title and credit music is by Dr. Velvet. Audio segments from television programs are presented for review and informational purposes only under fair use, and no ownership of these is claimed or implied by this show. For more information, visit PeggyMountPod.com. Peggy Mount Pod.com.